I'm Todd McKay, and our federal director, Franco Terrazano, is here. It's weird. I don't even know how I managed to uh, squeeze into his schedule. He's on the media nonstop right now talking about gas prices because all of us, when we uh, drive past the gas station, I guess more importantly, stop at the gas station, uh, you almost have to tell the kids to cover their ears because uh, daddy wants to say some bad words when you see the, uh, the gas prices right now. In fact, I'm going to play a clip. Uh, this is Franco talking to CTV about gas prices. In many provinces, the tax bill makes up more than a third of the price of the pump. So for politicians to provide relief to make life more affordable for Canadians and drivers, uh, they need to provide some tax relief at the pumps. All right, Franco. So thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I guess you kind of have to. That's uh, that's really the, the situation here. But listen, I'm going to skip ahead to the part of the story that drives me absolutely crazy because that's what I can do. How much is the tax on tax when we're buying gas? Yeah, this one really boils my blood. So when we say tax on tax, what we mean there is that you got the federal government, you have some provincial governments that are charging a sales tax on top of the other fuel taxes. So they add up all the per liter fuel taxes and you know what they do that to that? they charge a sales tax on top of it. So it's completely unfair. And, and why that really matters right now is because when you see these fuel prices rise, when you see fuel taxes increase, well, that just increases the tax on tax on Canadian drivers. And the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we put out an analysis a few months ago, our gas tax honesty day report. And we estimated that this tax on tax alone is costing Canadian drivers an extra about three cents per liter of gasoline. This is... That's so frustrating. So oil companies and all those guys, they're making money on, on, you know, when you're filling up, whatever. It is what it is. We can complain about that. It's frustrating. It is what it is. Then the government's making more money as well. And the, more, the higher the price gets, the more money the government makes. And they're charging tax on top of tax. So the only person who's really taken on the chin is the poor sucker putting the fuel in the tank. Okay. Gotta take a deep breath here. I feel like you Usa. know, get the old yeah, get the old blood pressure going down a little bit again. Okay, so let's take a step back. How bad is it across the country? I'm in Moose Jaw here. I just about fell over when I saw the the price of gas. But what's it looking like across the country? Yeah, gas prices are soaring right now, man. Uh, last I looked, fuel prices in Vancouver is already over a dollar sixty per liter. Um, I was looking at my my former town in, in Calgary, looking at prices in Edmonton too, and it looks like the prices are reaching uh, all time highs at least in the last few years, according to Gas Buddy. Uh, but you know what we have to remember right now is that yeah, drivers are definitely feeling the pain of these high prices, but it's high gas taxes that make these high gas prices even more painful. Painful. And if you look across Canada, the tax bill at the pump accounts for about 31%, all the way up to 42% of the total pump price, depending on what province you live in. Yeah, that's so frustrating. Like, listen, I'm all for complaining about the gas station, the oil guys or whatever, feel free to shake your fist at them too. But government is a big chunk of this. They deserve a ton of the blame. All right. So what, when you break it down, when I'm filling up my minivan, because I got four kids, that's how <laughs> yeah. we roll with the minivan. <laughs> Shrek on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Exactly. Shrek and Donkey and another whirlwind adventure whenever we roll. So when I'm filling up my tank, what does that look like in terms of tax? How much am I getting hit there? Okay, so first we said that in Vancouver, it's about $1.60 right now per liter. That's the total price of the fuel. So right there, that's about 120 bucks 
uh, if every time you fill up your minivan in Vancouver, um, you know, we mentioned that the total tax bill to pump is between 31 to 42 percent. Uh, well, let's look at that high range at 42 percent. That happens in Montreal. And Todd, I think we have to be uh, we have to feel a little sad for our friends out there in Montreal, because every time they go to fuel up their, their, their car or their minivan, well, they're paying six different types of taxes. And Todd, maybe that explains why, uh, why Renault isn't driving out there in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can't ask Renault for a ride. He won't give one to you. He's a, he's a mass transit fellow, that guy. It makes sense, I guess, when you see uh, some of those costs, but the reality is a lot of us, uh, especially if you're, you know, in construction, in agriculture, uh, you know, you've got to put fuel in the tank to put uh, bread on the table. Obviously, a carbon tax is a big part of what we're talking about here. Where are those uh, or how much is our carbon taxes costing us now? And where is that going in the future? Well, the carbon tax right now, it currently adds a little less than 10 cents per liter to the price of gasoline. And, and where is that tax bill going? Well, unfortunately, under the Trudeau government, that tax bill is only going up. Remember, we heard that the Trudeau government was going to announce its massive carbon tax increase all the way up to $170 per ton by 2030. But, you know, outside of uh, the economics eggheads, what that means is that it'll increase the cost of gasoline by about 40 cents per liter in 2030. You're shaking your head, Todd. But one thing I'll say is, yeah, the pain does not stop there because the Trudeau government is also going to hammer us with a second carbon tax. And, and you know, I was just talking to Dan McTeague. We had him on here before. He's He leads up uh, Canadians for Affordable Energy. And he told me that that second carbon tax will add about 16 cents per liter to the price of gasoline. So in 2030, uh, when, when, we're get, when we're paying two carbon taxes because of the Trudeau government, well, your family is going to get soaked for about 40 bucks every time you fill up your minivan. And that's just in carbon taxes. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. I, so I was walking by the gas station here in Moose Jaw. It's about a buck 38, which I guess compared to other people in, in the country, uh, that's not as bad as it could be. But still, a buck 38 for a liter of gas here. I've also some, been seeing some headlines, you know, could gas hit two bucks, two dollars a liter? Could that happen? And in Scary. my head, I was just like, there's no way. There's no way. Two bucks? Are you getting Like, that can't be happening. But what you're saying is, not only could that happen, we're well on our way to getting there. Like that's not a, like a maybe thing. That's a when kind of thing. So let's talk about the carbon tax a little bit. We've talked about it in some depth, but I think we do have to touch on a little bit. There's a lot of pain there. What kind of gain do we get? Are carbon taxes working? No, <laughs> no, they're not. No, no environmental gain. They're economic pain without the environmental gain. Uh, let's just look at our, our, our friends out there on the West Coast in British Columbia. They've had the highest carbon tax in Canada for years and emissions keep going up. But let's also look at the Trudeau government's uh, federal carbon tax. The first year of Trudeau's federal carbon tax, where did emissions go? Emissions went up. So that's why we always say that the carbon tax is a tax plan. It's not an environmental plan. And if you really want to put together an environmental plan, well, you have to take a global outlook. And the truth of the matter is, is that Canada makes up only 1.5% of global emissions. So even if the federal government brought our industries to a screeching halt, which would inflict so much pain on so many Canadians, it still wouldn't do anything for the global environment. All right. So I generally don't trust politicians any further than I can throw them. But usually, if people <laughs> are feeling some pain, 
politicians will at least pretend i feel your pain too i'm gonna do something about that you're upset don't worry about it i'm all over it the price of the pump is creating a ton of pain for a lot of canadians right now it's hot it's all over the news i feel like politicians should be all over this talking about how they're going to fix this problem for everybody what are the politicians saying well, the, the politicians aren't saying much. They're uh, sleeping at the wheel right now while, while our uh, us drivers take it on the chin. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this, but in many provinces, uh, a third of the pump price is, is from taxes. And you can find out more about that from our gas tax honesty day report that we put out uh, a few months ago. Uh, so we should be seeing these politicians talking about affordability, talking about providing us tax relief. But unfortunately, uh, these politicians are taking us in the wrong direction. We talked about the massive Trudeau government tax hike, carbon tax hike, but also we have to talk about the official opposition, right? The conservatives. Um, when, when Aaron O'Toole, when he was running for conservative party leadership, he signed our taxpayer pledge promising to scrap the carbon tax and replace it with nothing. And then just before that federal election, what did he do? Well, he flip-flopped and said he was going to hammer families with a carbon tax of his own. Yeah. And that's really frustrating, but it's worth remembering politicians work for us. If we don't like the direction they're going, we need to push them in a different direction. That's how this works. And that's why we talk about it. Thank you so much uh, for this, Franco. And uh, keep lighting them up. Amen. Lighting them up on the media all over the place. <laughs> that's my pleasure. All right. I'm here with Kevin Lacey, our Alberta director. Kevin's kind of a big deal. Let's just be honest about that. It's just on the front page of the National Post, front page story, top quote in that story in fact his quote is right in the headline of the front page story in the national post i'm going to read the uh the quote though here's what kevin said albertans delivered a clear message that while they're willing to contribute to canada they won't be taken advantage of anymore and the results show that albertans want to stand up they want to see change kevin lacy Big deal on the front page. What are you talking about there, man? What's the big issue? Well, look, the I think what happened on Monday night is a, is something that all Canadians should take notice of. Albertans were asked a significant question about whether or not they wanted to see the equalization formula, formula eliminated from the Constitution. That's probably the single biggest question put to Canadians on the Constitution in English Canada since the Charlottetown Accords. And uh, as a result, it's, we need to take it very, very seriously. And uh, men, Albertans, well over 50% of them got in their car, went to a polling station to have their voice heard um, that they didn't want this equalization formula. They didn't want to see Albertans um, contributing to, uh, to Ottawa, only to see their money go to provinces that don't respect um, Alberta's major export, which is our energy sector. And now I think it's incumbent upon the federal government to pick up the phone uh, to start a conversation about equalization, how we can make it more fair for Alberta, but also for the rest of, for all of Canada. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to watch. I think I'm from Saskatchewan, you're in Alberta. Uh, it's been like a, a pastime in these provinces for a long time to complain about equalization. Cop shop at the bar, you could hear people complaining about it all the time. This is different though, because people are actually doing something about it. Marking an X on a ballot, clear majority of Albertans saying, Equalization is not good enough. We have to have a talk about that. But we, before we get into talking about all of that, let's talk about the price tag. Equalization, what does it actually cost Albertans? 
Well, all of Canada costs about $20.9 billion. Albertans contribute about $3 billion of that. To put that in perspective, each and every Albertan puts in about $650 into equalization. And you take that for a family of four, it's about $2,600 that uh, is contributed in equalization. Now you have to go to the other side and look at how in that is that money distributed. Um, so equal, uh, Quebec receives over 50% of the total amount of equalization that is spent. It's about $13 billion. It's a lot of money, and that means it's about $1,500 a person that goes the other way, added together for a family of four, and you're looking at you know, somewhere around $6,200 um, that the, the total amount of money that uh, a family of four uh, would have transferred from Ottawa to their provincial government. And so this inequity uh, is a huge difference, given that as the economy has changed over the pandemic, that in fact what's happened is that the income levels and the differences between the provinces have shrunk. Yet these equalization payments uh, and the differences between Alberta and other provinces have grown. Um, so Alberta Premier uh, Jason Kenney has made uh, a number of uh, attempts to try to get this changed on the political level and hasn't been able to do it. And as a result, added this tactic in in order to try to create real change and to initiate a discussion uh, about equalization, but also this federal provincial relations and how the money is transferred between provinces as a whole. And I think it's really stark when you sort of put that per person number in place. If you have to send 650 bucks to somebody in a different province, I think it's legitimately uh, a situation where that's something you want to ask questions about. What exactly is this money going for? What's it being used for? But in this case, it's not like uh, I'm sending 650 bucks to my buddy. I'm sending it to a government in Quebec or Nova Scotia or Manitoba. And I don't have any say about what they spend it on, whether it's doing any good. 650 bucks is a significant amount of money. We're all paying it uh, in, in uh uh, these provinces have paid for equalization. This is something to talk about. Good on Alberta to get onto that conversation. But hey, let's get this drill down another level, though. Not everybody wakes up in the morning thinking about equalization. Let's go back to the beginning. What exactly is equalization? So the attempt, what equalization was supposed to be was a way to kind of uh, to, uh, to apply the same level of services across the country. Um, so that if you're an area of the province or area of the country that is economically depressed, that you receive these equalization pro, uh, money, which would then begin to rise, rise you back up. The problem is twofold. The first is, is that um, this program has been in place since 1957 and many of the same provinces that were collecting equalization at the start are still collecting equalization today. So, you know, it's been over 60 years and many of the provinces are still collecting money. I think it's time to ask why equalization hasn't done the job of bringing these provinces up to a national uh, up to a national level. The second problem is that, as you mentioned earlier, is that this money goes to individual to go to governments, not individuals. So what that means is that it's politicians that get to spend this money, not individual taxpayers. And politicians are taking that money and using it for all kinds of things uh, that are against the interests of uh, of the contributing provinces. Say, for example. Um, uh, for example, in Quebec, doing things like spending it on Bombardier. Um, about 10 years ago, the Nova Scotia government gave Irving Shipbuilding $350 million in order to 
um, compete for a shipbuilding contract with a company in British Columbia. So imagine the absurdity that British Columbia taxpayers funded an equalization program that the, the money then went to a province that the province used uh, in part uh, to outbid a competitor in their own province um, and the workers in that province will lose. Um, so it's these types of things that I think we need to uh, change and reform um, so that we have more we have more fairness across Canada and that the program is fair, not just for the people receiving the money, but for the ones giving it. Yeah, it's funny. It's hard enough to get uh, politicians to be responsible with taxes that they collect from people. To try to think that politicians are going to be responsible for spending money they didn't even have to collect, that they somehow got from a different part of the country. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a recipe for just right, lighting money on fire. That's really what we're talking about here. But okay, let's talk about the process here a little bit. So big referendum campaign. We're seeing well over 50% in many places, over 60% uh, in Alberta. We're still getting some of the final, final results. But Albertans have overwhelmingly and clearly said, uh, you know what, it's time to change equalization. It's not good enough. But that's in a way, that's the end of one, one fight and just the start of a whole more uh, much longer process. What happens next? Well, this is a, this is the, you're right. This is the first step, the referendum. I think the ball is, uh, then goes to both Premier Kenny and for Prime Minister Trudeau. For Premier Kenny, I think it's incumbent upon him now to gain support across the country for Alberta's position, to go to provinces that, um, that give in to equalization like Saskatchewan and British Columbia, but also to go to some of those other provinces um, um, as well to try to build a consensus for reforms that make that certainly help Alberta but also help all of Canada. I think for the Prime Minister it's incumbent about him to understand this issue now isn't just an issue at the Premier's table it's also at the kitchen table with most Albertans um, and so it's incumbent upon him to recognize um, that Albertans have made uh, a statement and that he should now act. Uh, prior to uh, this whole referendum, one of the reasons why we have it is equalization was expiring in 2018. And rather than negotiate with the provinces, the prime minister simply ran through the formula that exists today uh, through uh, a bill in parliament. So at this, uh, what we're trying to prevent is that from happening again. And now it's incumbent upon these two politicians to begin the negotiations and to begin the ball rolling in order to creating a new program when the current equalization formula expires in 2024. Yeah, in fact, I, I recall when they extended that uh, the equalization formula in 2018, they just did it in a footnote in the budget. No consultation, no phone calls, no text back and forth to figure stuff out. Just whoop, there it is, $20 billion, uh, $20 billion out the door. You know, it's interesting when we talk about, is it working? With most programs, we can talk about, is it working? We've got an intent, we've got spending, did it achieve the uh, intent? What do you think? Is equalization working? How do we even measure that? You know, look, this is, uh, these dollars are unaccounted for. So it's very difficult uh, for us to know what we're getting out of this money when we're giving it to provincial governments and they're able to spend it at will. The second thing is that provinces, while they're making gains, have still not made, um, have reached the national average. And so this program that's supposed to bring them up hasn't succeeded in doing that. Um, now, as provinces do improve, it has little to do with equalization, it has more to do with changing economies, 
um, movement, of, uh, movement of people as a result of the pandemic, things like this that have nothing to do with equalization at all. Um, so as a result, I think that's one of the reasons why Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau should be moving quickly in beginning negotiations is if you had any program in Ottawa that wasn't working for 60 years, I think the question is, why would you continue it? I think that's a fair chance. You've given something a chance when you've given it 60 years that hasn't started working yet. You know, it's interesting. You're from uh, originally from Nova Scotia. I'm from Saskatchewan. Both provinces have gotten uh, equalization. Uh, Nova Scotia continues to. Here in Saskatchewan, it's a little bit of a different uh, perspective. We used to get equalization all the time. Now we don't. And it's frustrating that we're paying into equalization. But I tell you what, I don't want to go back to a province. I wouldn't want Saskatchewan to go back to a time when we got that money. We're, we're getting screwed when we're uh, losing that money. But if you get screwed worse, I would argue, uh, when you receive that money, that money, um, it has some unintended consequences. Why is equalization bad for the provinces that get the money? Well, I think two things. First is that it, it's a regional distortion. So it, it, it prevents provinces from conducting reforms with the amount of money that they have. Rather, instead, what they do is rely on federal government money um, to continue programs in their own provinces that either don't work or waste or waste taxpayer dollars. And I think the second thing, which is, you know, as a Nova Scotian is kind of a big deal for me, is that there should be a sense of and I think there is a sense of pride of what people have in the province. And I think most people want to see the government move away from equalization, which is one of the reasons why I think um, we need, why reform is so needed, is that it's not just a request by uh, those provinces that pay into, it's also the ones that are receiving. New Brunswick, for example, years ago had a policy of getting themselves off equalization and being able to stand on their own two feet. So they're also interested um, and getting away from this program and instead being able to fund their own programs um, through, uh, through their, own, their own, own means. So I think that's where, I think as we go forward, where we should be really encouraged is that I think there's a real will out there amongst recipient provinces, particularly those in the Maritimes to stand on their own feet and be able to, uh, to fund their own interests. Yeah, and you know what, we've heard that from Premier Legault in uh, Quebec as well, saying that it's going to be a process, but Quebec needs to be uh, self-sufficient as well. It's good to hear that sort of thing, but talk and action are uh, not always connected. So we need to see that. Okay. Now, I don't want to get behind the scenes too much here, but Kevin Lacey, you spent an awful lot of time working on this uh, referendum. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation has been pounding away on equalization for years. You were you were at the pointy end of the stick on uh, on the referendum. Did a ton of uh, media interviews and planning and campaigning. But when those uh, votes are being counted, that's always a little bit of a nervous moment. How are you feeling when uh, when everything was being counted? I think you know the result uh, was I think was kind of what we had expected. Uh, we knew that it, the vote would be uh, closer than may, may many may when many observers uh, felt it would be. You know, there was a concerted effort by some academics um, to make this more about other issues like the premier's popularity or um, other things which are unrelated to equalization. So I think when as we were watching the results, um, you know, we were uh, feeling pretty good how those numbers come in, and the final numbers will come in on Tuesday, the twenty. Six, and we'll be able to get a full picture of what they all, all were. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, listen, congratulations. You worked your tail off. Uh, the results show that's a good thing. Obviously, a lot more fight to fight on equalization. We're going to continue to move on that. 
And we will have links in the show notes to uh, Kevin's front page story in the National Post. Thanks a lot. Thanks. All right, we've got Jake Goldberg here. He watches Ontario for us. And he just published a new column in the National Post about Ontario's fiscal situation. It's a bit grim. Let's just be honest about that. This is not this is not a feel good fairy tale uh, kind of a column. Uh, but here, I'm just going to read a quote right out of the uh, out of uh, Jay's uh, column. "Quote: The Ford government needs to tell taxpayers the hard truth. The budget will never balance itself without some spending restraint. And if the province fails to act now, dealing with Ontario's debt credit or debt crisis." will only get more difficult. Asking politicians to tell people the hard truth, man, that seems like uh, you're taking a tough uh, tough direction here. But your, col- your column puts uh, a fact front and center that governments really don't want to talk about. You throw it out there, a deep, dark number called interest costs. How much does that actually cost the Ontario government right now? Yeah, this is a great question, and it's something that Premier Ford doesn't want Ontarians to know. Uh, He's been suggesting in a column in the Toronto Sun that, you know, they're just going to move ahead without cutting spending uh, and without raising taxes. The tax side is a good thing. But what he's not telling Ontarians is that we are spending more than a billion dollars a month on debt interest. So that's over $13 billion a year. That's more than we spend on post-secondary education here in Ontario. And with that same amount of money, you could build 13 new hospitals. So, you know, uh, Ford is not wanting to tell Ontarians the truth. It's costing us a billion dollars a month, and it's only going to get worse without any plan to balance the budget. It's, it's weird. We talk so much in big numbers these days, billion dollars here, billion dollars, a billion dollars a month. Like, it's just incredible. As you say, that's like building a whole new hospital every month, burning it to the ground, and then building a whole new hospital. That's what it sounds insane to say out loud, but that is the fiscal equivalent of exactly what we're doing. So, okay, so that's the problem. Let's talk about the, uh, I was going to say solution, but I guess a proposed solution would be a more accurate way of saying it. What is Premier Ford's plan to, uh, to deal with this? Well, Premier Ford came out in the Toronto Sun and he uh, said that uh, Ontario would get back to balance eventually without uh, raising taxes and without reducing spending. They're relying entirely on economic growth. Their plan, uh, it's an eight-year plan, but it's based on really rosy economic numbers. I think there's no way they're going to meet that. And actually, the parliamentary budget officer is saying that the Ontario governments are not going to balance their books for decades. So uh, I don't think the premier is being truthful with Ontarians, uh, and they really have no plan to balance the budget. And this $1 billion a month figure, it's only going to get bigger from here. It's not going to get smaller. Yeah, it's funny, this whole uh, trust economic growth strategy. And listen, let me be really honest. I hope that works. That'd be great if the economy just takes off and then all of our problems are solved. But that's like a little bit like spending too much on your credit card and just hoping that you're going to get a raise and you can pay it off. Like maybe that'll happen, but there's no real bet, no guarantee on that. I want to pull you back to the parliamentary budget officer, though. Because this isn't just your opinion and mine or anybody else's. Uh, Parliamentary Budget Officer has taken a pretty close look at uh, provincial plans, including Ontario's plan. 
what are they seeing there? What, what are we seeing from the PBO? Well, what the PBO is saying is that Ontario government, so they're actually looking at the provincial government and municipalities. And I think that's um, appropriate because the province is ultimately responsible for what cities spend. And if you look at those two levels together, the PBO study goes all the way to 2095. Not one year between now and then do they expect Ontario's books to be balanced. So I can't even say, uh, Franco can say at the federal level, you have a balanced budget by 2070. I can't even say 2095. That's just when the study ends. But there is no year they're expecting us to run balanced here in Ontario all the way till 2095. And I think that's a really important thing to think about here. This is a lot of people will say, well, the pandemic pandemic's a tough time. We got to spend money to get through it. Spending money in bad times, you can make an argument for that. But this isn't talking about running deficits in bad times. This is talking about running deficits in all of the times, always. There's never a back to normal. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to play the game that politicians like have played with me, like to play with us all the time. I'm going to put you on the hotspot. Okay, smart guy. You think uh, government's spending too much money. What would you cut? You think it's so easy? What would you cut? Well, job number one is corporate welfare. And, um, you know, the Ford government, they gave a $300 million check just under a year ago to the Ford Motor Company. They're a Fortune 500 company. They're making billions of dollars in profits. And the Ford government decided to give them $300 million just for plant renovations here in Ontario. And there's no way such a profitable business needed taxpayer dollars that badly. And of course, they also gave $55 million to Maple Leaf Foods. That's, again, a very profitable company. So corporate welfare is the first thing to go after. And even though the Ford government likes to say that they're doing less of it or they're really trying to roll it back from the win years, that's still a heck of a lot of money. And that's job number one to go after. Yeah, okay. So corporate welfare, stop giving big checks to big businesses. I think other than those big businesses, you get a lot of people nodding their heads when you hear that one. All right, give me another one. That's not going to do it. What else do you do? Well, my favorite, of course, is uh, handouts for Ontario's political parties. We're giving $12 million a year to Ontario's political parties. They can spend it on whatever they want, attack ads, lawn signs. It's not for a get out the vote effort. This is for partisan purposes. If you're seeing those new ads on TV, the PCs and the NDP have rolled them out. Turns out you're actually paying for them. Uh, and the Ford government's arranged for a $10 million payday advance for political parties before the next election. So definitely second thing that we're gonna, we would uh, like to see gone right away is this uh, subsidy for political parties. And I should also say that this political welfare, Doug Ford promised to scrap it. In the last election, he said, we don't need to be giving money to political parties. He was right in the last election. He's not right now. And uh, we need to see that rolled back right away. Yeah, it's crazy when you watch the progression there. So he promises to get rid of it, says he doesn't need it, then decides to break that promise and keep it, and then goes a step forward and takes a, an advance on payments that are supposed to be happening after the election. He's taking all of the political parties are just helping themselves to what should be future payments. And here's the thing, you know, it's always uh, sketchy to uh, make predictions in politics, but I'm gonna go well, way on a limb here, Jay, you can tell me if I'm crazy. I think they're gonna take that advance and then they're not, they're just gonna take the money as well afterwards. 
Like that's not going to be an advance. Like if you take an advance from work, then you don't get your next paycheck or whatever the value of that advance is. They're going to take the advance. They're going to take the money too. Am I yeah, wrong here? You're not wrong. And the payments are calculated based on how many votes you got in the last election. So if they're saying they're not going to take any payments in the first nine months after the next election, they don't know how many votes each party is going to get. So whatever this advance is before the election is not actually going to match up with what should be happening after the election. So definitely not. They're not going to be paying it back. Uh, and I'm sure that's going to be a quick announcement, very quiet on a Friday afternoon, soon after the election, that turns out we're, we're not going to give that back and we're just going to keep going. And I would guess that if you weren't watching, nobody would notice. So we're counting on you to catch them when they do that. Pretty predictable. You should be able to get them. Okay. It's interesting. The issues you've brought up are worth millions, actually hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and it seems weird to say this, uh, but in some ways that's small potatoes. It isn't because that's a lot of people's tax money. So I don't want to diminish it. But when we look at the scale of the problem, we're into the billions of dollars of problems. You've picked some really good low hanging fruit, but when we get down to it, what are we going to have to do if, uh, if Ontario is going to actually get down to business here? Well, look, half of our budget here in Ontario goes to paying uh, government employees, paying their wages. And what we've seen over the last few years is wage increases for those who work for the government and job losses uh, for those who don't or reduced hours or uh, pay cuts. And so, you know, secondstreet.org put out a study. They haven't seen a pay cut at any level of government in Canada for years. We certainly haven't seen it in Ontario. Uh, the Ford government made a start by limiting the growth uh, in wages for government employees. But, you know, it's time for a wage freeze, absolutely, cut potentially, because the deficit is so far out of control. And people who are working for the government generally get about 10% more than those who are working in the private sector. And that's just not fair. And if there's a way to balance the budget, that's the first place to start for sure. And that's a lot of money. That'll be billions of dollars in savings. Okay. So what you're talking about, though, is, I mean, you're talking, you're kind of talking about like the Buckley's plan here. It tastes, uh, tastes awful. That for sure is the case, right? The only reason people ever take Buckley's is because of the cold they have is even worse than the, than the, uh, the nasty taste of that cough syrup. So let's talk about the cold here. If we keep ignoring it, if Doug Ford won't take that tough medicine, if he won't tell taxpayers the truth, where does this road lead us? Well, look, Ontario is the most indebted subnational unit in the world. We, as we said, are spending more than a billion dollars a month on debt interest. That's just going to get further and further out of control. Ford ran as someone who was going to fight for taxpayers, and he needs to. Because we saw, for example, in the 1990s, an NDP government, and you don't expect the NDP to want to make cuts. They shut down 52 hospitals in Saskatchewan because they couldn't keep the lights on. And, you know, that's something that's quite scary for a lot of people. And that's something we have to start thinking about in Ontario. Do we want to let the situation get to a place where our government might have to start making decisions about potentially closing hospitals or major cuts to the services that people rely on most? And so... You know, the answer is to make reasonable decisions today, somewhat difficult decisions, but much less difficult decisions than you would otherwise make years from now when we're finally in a crisis. Um, so those decisions need to be made today. And I think Ontarians need to realize that if we don't make those tough decisions, 
the tough decisions are going to be way, way, way worse. Yeah, look, it feels a lot like, I don't know, Jay, you were probably really responsible even when you were younger. But some of us, when we first got a credit card, you know, we had fun buying things, but uh, maybe didn't look as closely at the statement as we should have. It doesn't get easier the more uh, you ignore it. It only gets harder. That's what we're seeing with governments too. It's either do the tough stuff now or the much tougher stuff later. All right, Jay, thank you so much for, for uh, chatting about this. Your op-ed's in the National Post. We'll have a link uh, out there for everybody. Thanks a lot, Todd. All right, that's it for our podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Jimbo, James Wood, our investigative reporter, also edits this. Uh, you should hear all the stuff. Yes, it cut out uh, because I forget what I'm talking about. So thank you so much to Jimbo for that. To all of you, please subscribe to the show. We really appreciate we really appreciate it when you listen, but it really helps us out if you subscribe. Let's get this uh, community bigger. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.